Hello, everyone. My name is Melody, and this is You Know I. Welcome to the first episode of the year. I've taken about a month off, but I'm ready to get back on the horse and release episodes every Monday. So this first episode is with David Bennett. David is a gay Christian, but he's also celibate, meaning he's same-sex attracted, but he feels the Bible is clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. In this episode, I speak with David about how he arrived at this conclusion, why he believes he needs to be celibate, and should this apply to all gay Christians. I also get him to talk me through what a relationship with Jesus is like for him, and what he would like to see change in the church in relation to how they treat gay people. I also filmed this episode. This is one of the first episodes I've ever filmed in person. Uh, David was in Sydney and I knew someone who filmed and I got a studio and yeah, I think it looks pretty good for the first one I've ever done. So yeah, if you want to check that out, I'll just, it's on YouTube, Melody Rachel, but I'll put that in the show notes. Otherwise, yeah, here it is. Boom. Yeah. David Bennett. Yes. Good to, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure to join you. <laughs> you're, a, you're a celibate gay Christian. Yeah. Yes. Celibate gay, celibate queer. Celibate queer, okay. Same-sex attracted. And I am a lesbian who loves Jesus, yeah. but has sex. Yeah. Yep. So or I'm the affirming... Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I, I said before, I didn't like the word affirming, um, I'm, which I'm sure we can get into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have sex with a woman. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, and I, I did have sex with men, and then met Jesus, and was led down this kind of crazy path. Yeah. Well, that's what I yeah. sort of want to get into. But I want to start with the Pope. The Pope. Pope Francis. He has yeah. now says that priests can bless same-sex couples. But yeah, you don't like that, given your side. What? No, no. So the reason. I reacted initially negatively was because I get really sick of the church just making like these weird statements that don't help queer Christians navigate their lives. I think clarity is a form of love. And when you just make things really blunt and come out with a statement out of nowhere, it it doesn't, it like worsens the existential dilemma that all of us are in. So I think what a lot of the like established institutional church doesn't understand is what queer Christians are actually going through. And I think Roman Catholic tradition is very clear on marriages, natural law, that whole Aquinas tradition. It's like, it's solid. That's never going to change. It just can't because it's, it's like part of being Roman Catholic, you know? And I think, well, I'm, I'm an Anglican and I believe the scriptures are the ultimate authority for our lives and and I think when you go to the highest place of academia and you ask a lot of, you know, New Testament scholars, they're like, yeah, it is really clear. I just disagree with it, you know. And so I had ser- searched through all of that, but I realized those things actually aren't as important as how the church does this and how the church actually responds to queer Christians. And I never hear anything constructive. The Church of England came out just the day before with their prayers of love and faith, which were super like a fudge. Yeah. It was like, we can bless this, but we can't. And I just thought that's not actually going to help queer Christians navigate this. You know, I'm not just looking for the church to affirm my perspective. I'm looking for the church to create a constructive theology that actually works with their 
their real convictions. And instead of doing that, they chose this like political fudge that I found, you know, having done some work with the bishops and advised them like something that basically no one was happy with. And and then the Pope came out with his uh, statement and written statement about about blessing gay couples. And initially I thought that that was like him affirming the Church of England and I reacted very negatively. I was like, this is not, this is cowardice. This is like saying you can have your cake and eat it too. It's not facing the reality of the dilemma of what queer Christians actually go through which is we have to face the idea that our desires are misaligned with the created order. And some of us say, I don't agree with that. And some of us say, I do, and I'm going to try to live in a life of flourishing. And instead of facing that dilemma with queer Christians, it's just like these statements that like, we will bless you in, in, in your irregular relationship. Like that for me just like doesn't, that's going back to where we were like in the 1990s. Like, oh, what do you want me to do? Roll you out a red carpet for blessing people. I can bless a gay couple, you know, who are my friends, even though I disagree with with that as a side B Christian. I can say I bless you as individuals. I love you. You're like part of my community, you know. Mm. <laughs> like you've gone through something that's so intimately similar to what I've gone through and I want to show you solidarity. I don't agree with you necessarily in terms of, fellowship or how your sexual holiness works but i love you and i i can bless you and you can bless me like i don't really see that as very remarkable and yet the church is making this huge deal out of it and that doesn't freight for me the real hard work that the church needs to do is ask the question if we do think marriage is between a man and a woman that scripture is clear about this and this is a revelation of god how do queer christians flourish within that and let's do the constructive work to make that possible or change of view. I don't think there's like much of an in-between there. And they're trying to create this in-between. Do you know what I mean? And I, I don't, that I think keeps triggering a lot of trauma for the queer community. On the other hand, I do think it's good that the church is blessing gay people and recognizing that God is involved in queer people's lives. Like that is good. <laughs> and that is, I suppose, in some sense, a kind of deeper movement towards where God really is. And I think what I work as a theologian is I'm interested in being where God is. I'm constantly trying to say, where are you, God? Where are you actually? <laughs> and I want to be there. And if I'm not, please save me from that. You know, and the church needs to be constantly asking that question, where is God already? And I got saved in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney and got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't ha I wasn't side B. I didn't have any of my, I didn't know theologically what I <laughs> <laughs> this terrain, but God justified me by faith, made me right with him, you know, filled me with the Holy Spirit. I had all these amazing, like, charismatic experiences of who God is. It was okay, beautiful. before we get there, because yeah. I want to know about that, yeah. um, but how do we include LGBT people in the church if we can't affirm them? Well, because affirmation is different. Affirmation of someone doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that they think. Yes, but homosexuality is dignity, hugely they're, they're, elevated in our culture. Their dignity and value is not in question. Okay. In, in Every person is sacred. Every person. But we are also fallen and broken and there are desires which we wrestle with that are, you know, affected by sin and death. And that's a really hard thing to work out. Like, we struggle to know what is right and wrong. That's what the whole thing is about. You eat the fruit, then you have the knowledge of good and evil, but we don't have the resources to work that out. We need grace 
to help us live an ethical life. And I think we've over we've over moralized. We've made every everything ethical. And I actually think sexuality and gender are what's called a theodicy question. So theodicy means theo God and DK, which means righteousness in Greek. Theodicy, the question of how could God be good if he allowed me to experience this? So for me, with being gay, the big dilemma is why would he allow me to have desires which are misaligned with his created order, do nothing to change them, and then condemn me for that? To me, that's a theodicy question. It has an ethical element, but it's primarily about that wrestle. Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like the Psalms, you know, Job, all of that side of what faith means has not entered this conversation. So we've over-moralized and under-theodicized sexuality. When you say over-moralized, I'm I'm thinking about there's an emphasis, there's a huge emphasis on, it's almost like you're either saved or you're not by whether you're gay or not. Yeah. Right. And that's crazy to me. And that's not biblical. Oh yeah. But the affirmation model and affirming theology is a response to people emphasizing our sexuality. I mean, if anything, I would rather people just forget about it. Like, do you know, like I'm not a gay Christian. No, I went through that. I, I was in Strasbourg, France doing my political science degree, finishing it off at UCS. And it was like an exchange thing. Anyway, I was in the center of town on my bicycle and I'd, you know, been saved and was wrestling with this question and trying to work it out. And it was really hard. (laughs) And I came to that kind of view. I was like, I just don't even want to say I'm sex attracted. I just want to say I'm a human Mm. and I'm just probably going to get married to someone, have some kids and die. Thanks. That's a easier and i literally felt the holy spirit rebuke me when i was saying like going and he was like no that is not what i've called you to to do i want to witness through your gayness and through that part of who you are that is important to me and don't delete that and then the next day i was (laughs) at the political science faculty in 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 france and i looked at this poster that was across from me and it was le triangle rose the pink triangle and it was the last gay Holocaust survivor. It was his autobiography being like, they were having a launch event for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go. So I went that next day. And as Rudolf Brasda, the last gay Holocaust survivor, like shared his story, I just broke into tears. And I like, I just felt the spirit, you know, Jesus really showing me like, this isn't important, but I want you to stand against that kind of hatred that Rudolf Brasda went through. And that your gay identity matters to me, but I don't want you to compromise the holiness of my law. And that was the kind of tension, the deep tension beyond conservative and liberal, like progressive and traditionalist that I felt he was leading me into. But it's a really hard tension to live in and people don't think it's possible. But actually, when you follow grace, I believe that's where it leads you to that radical tension of holiness and inclusion, you know. Okay, I'm So that's where I would say the the target is. I it's it's a journey getting there. I don't think any of us ever get there fully. I think we're all on a pilgrimage towards that, but that's the goal to be like Christ who was perfectly holy, fulfilled the law, never contradicted the law, and yet brought a righteousness greater than the law, which was about grace and inclusion of all people, all nations. And so that's my goal. That's where I've but that was a hard process. And actually re- retaining the word gay was really important for me in that process. And seeing not 
giving into an easy dualism where I just deleted being gay, but actually seeing that as a vital part of the witness of the gospel. Because a lot of Christians, well, uh, celibate, gay yeah. Christians, will call themselves same-sex attracted. We just don't act on our desires. But that's because they're in conservative churches that are full of straight people who don't get what being gay is. Okay. But then you're also not on the affirmation side where you believe No, God- I think the law is quite clear, but the law doesn't make you righteous. Trying to obey the law is a waste of time. The righteousness of God comes through Jesus, and then you end up living a life that fulfills the law, but you can't aim for the law. <laughs> that You have to live in the Spirit. That's what Paul talks about. Do you not know you've been justified by the Spirit? Then continue to walk in the Spirit. Okay. So, it's a, it's, it's, it's a tension between... It's a tension between the law is not a license to condemn, which was the problem in Romans 1 to 3, where the the legalists and the Judaizers were trying to condemn the Gentiles and say, you need to obey the law, live according to the law. And Paul was like, no, you don't get it. The law has been fulfilled. These people are justified by faith through the Messiah. They don't need to become Jewish and live in the law like you. And don't you know you don't even live according to the law yourself? So, actually, the Bible is radical, and that space is radical. And when I realized it, the the passages I thought condemned me were actually the passages that were about my inclusion as a a gay person, but also my calling to holiness to not compromise the created order of marriage between a man and a woman. And that's where it left me. So, just to be clear, do you, you believe that homosexuality is a sin? I don't like that statement because I think it's clumsy. Okay. Well, how would you rephrase? I think for me to go down the route of a sexually active gay relationship would not be God's will for my life. It would miss the mark of the target because it isn't in the law. Yeah. The law t- still teaches us what sin is, right? But to be gay, to have a sexual orientation as a gay person is fallen, but it's not sinful. Does that make sense? Uh, I would say the sin- sinful nature, the fallen nature are synon- synonymous. Well, no, in the sense that um, there are things that are fallen about us, but they are not sinful. Okay. So, a lot of the way that we experience desire and how to have self-control and all of that, you know, Augustine talks about how that whole apparatus is now fallen. It's not wrong to have desire. It's but it's not- wrong to act on it. It's wrong to follow a certain goal for that desire that then becomes sin but there's a point at which it you know and i think it's really hard for people to understand this because they want a black and white answer mm. but that's not how creation fall and redemption works it's gray it's 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 wrestling it's it's not simple and people want either progressive or conservative and i'm always like is homosexuality a sin <laughs> or is it okay and i'm well, like that's how it's presented to us yeah, exactly it's either right or it's wrong yeah. you're either one of god's people or you're not and it's- i actually think being gay is a gift that li- has led me deeper into god deeper into the gospel often deeper than a lot of the heterosexual people around me that think I'm their poster boy because I'm a celibate gay Christian. I'm not their poster boy. I'm like, you have issues. You don't understand the depth of this and you create environments in the church where queer people can't wrestle with this authentically. And this, I'm, not, I'm not on that bandwagon with them. I don't just want to say, tick a box. It's all just about getting the ethic right. I want like queer people to flourish <laughs> without having to compromise what I see is quite clearly scriptural holiness. And that's where I feel authentically I want to live out my gay identity is in that tension. So, do you think that to be like a true Christian and if you're you're gay, you should be 
celibate? Like, does that apply to everyone? I think everyone needs to go on a journey of discipleship where you learn to deny yourself. And in that process, it's not going to be perfect. And we're going to make mistakes, but we need to put God above everything and continually seek God in that process. And scripture is our guide, but scripture doesn't answer every question. And I think for me, I want real rarefied orthodoxy. And, you know, it's so interesting when I read the Church Fathers and I read a lot of contemporary theologians at Oxford, you know, a lot of them are asking for this rare, they like, there's this rarefied orthodoxy. There's this group of about 3%. There's the Francis who goes up against the Crusades and says, no, you know, there's the queer Christian that's like not quite going to give in to everything. And it's like, no, I'm going to try to live in this radical tension. Like, that's where I want to go. I want to be in that rarefied orthodoxy. And I've lived trying to conform myself to conservative and liberal progressive views. And they've all left me in a place I don't feel like whole. But when I go into that deeper tension that I've talked about, I'm like, yes, this is it. This is where Jesus is. And that's where I've kind of found him. But at the same time, Jesus is still with everyone who's questioning in those spaces. And he's still radically present, incarnationally has solidarity with every person. Like that's what happened in the incarnation. God showed solidarity to everybody. He became human. That's like... (laughs) Just stop there. Can we not even talk about ethics yet? Like, that's freaking amazing. Like, that's why I'm a Christian. There's no other view of God that shows that kind of radical solidarity with us in these questions, in these difficult terrains of mystery. And God doesn't want to answer all the questions for us because he doesn't want us to be robots. He wants an actual relationship with a living, breathing image of himself that is you know, beautiful and, and, and makes authentic choices, <laughs> isn't forced. So explain that further to me then, yeah. relationship with Jesus. What is that? I think a relationship with Jesus is like deeper than marriage and sex. It's like freaking passion and wild and Holy Spirit and power. And it, it's, it's an eros beyond sexual eros. Like it's not sexual, but it's what I think our culture replaced God with sex because it's one of the closest things to what God is like in our our relationship with him. And we are so, you know, it's really interesting, the classical Greek philosophers, they were obsessed with this idea of a non-sexual eros, a friendship with another person. And it got a bit strange (laughs) and twisted, like (laughs) it can, you know, and we have to be careful with that because of the fallen nature of our desires. But it can also lead to this rightly ordered eros that is a non-sexual eros that we have with God. So, you know, I say evangelism is just sharing the person I'm in love with. Like, I just talk about, you know, the relationship I have with Jesus. He's the bridegroom of my soul. I'm part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. You know, we have this deep relationship. And so, faith for me is like a covenant bond that looks a lot like marriage, but is even deeper than marriage. So you, it sounds to me like you would have gotten to a place where you, you, you've said this, that spiritual intimacy and intimacy with men, they're mutually exclusive. I think that spirit to spirit intimacy, like David and Jonathan, Jesus and John is homosocial, uh, that can exist in marriage, but marriage has a sacramental meaning. So, Augustine talks about the three goods of marriage. Yeah. F- uh, faithfulness, um, procreation, and then there's a third one called sacramentum in Latin. But it basically means 
marriage has some kind of sacramental imaging of the like it has a purpose of reflecting something. So the sexual difference between male and female has an importance within marriage sacramentally, which means I wouldn't grant the same sacramental status to a same-sex relationship because it doesn't have the difference within unity that the heterosexual relationship um, has. And yes, that does mean I don't affirm that as a path for myself, but I don't find that to be a huge problem because marriage is not the center the center of the gospel is the greatest love you can have is to lay down your life for your friend. And I can have that deep friendship with anybody, you know, and that might bring up complexities and difficulties. You know, I might fall in love with them, but I've got to learn to die to that. And that's a form of maturity and sanctification to learn to die to your desires for something even greater than those desires. So I think that's what the Christian life is marked by, the cross, which is this kind of asceticism that's driven by the future fullness of new creation, which we are foretasting in the Holy Spirit now, but will come fully in the future where there will be no sex and no marriage. Marriage is um, an earthly good, not an eternal good. But that friendship that Jesus talks about is the eternal future we will inherit in the kingdom. When you talk about desire, mm-hmm. it's it's so interesting because I think about my desire for woman. Yeah. There's nothing I mean, I feel convicted about a way I desire a woman. Like if I'm extracting from her and I'm I'm taking and I'm right. not giving attachment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't just mean that in a sexual way, yeah, like yeah. just in, in general. I, I do. I feel convicted about being selfish. I feel convicted about envious being envious, um, hateful, but my same sex, my desire for woman, it, it it feels like a positive thing, and then the outcome is positive. It's it's like the only quote unquote yeah. sin, if you will, that doesn't have like a negative yeah. consequence. Like, do you understand what I mean? Like, I to totally envy, understand. I know. I mean, I'm gay. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but there's but nothing. Just for me, it comes back to I don't want to. No, tell no, you go, how no. to live. I'm just telling you how conviction. it plays in my life and, and my relationship with Jesus, as we've described, <laughs> is I think it's about his identity, that he's the creator. He made them male and female in the beginning. And I don't understand that as a gay man. When I look at another man, do you know the word connecto in the Bible? It means like opposite alike. So when the Hebrew describes the relationship between Adam and Eve. It's this opposite alike thing that God's obsessed with. It's like, oh, it's opposite alike physically. <laughs> like, okay. But when I'm looking at a gay man, sometimes a straight man, but mainly a gay man, <laughs> I am, you know, I'm like, connecto. And God's like, no, it's actually not connecto. <laughs> you, you think it is. And so this is where I think the fall plays in that our desires, our internal loot, like in our brain, have, some of them have been. God has allowed this variation that I don't think is how he created everything, but it is how everything is now. And I think the reason he allowed it, okay, this is where it gets really deep. It's because he has a glory to reveal in queer people. That's even even greater glory. I don't really get it. Like, why would, you know, and I don't think being queer is the same as disability. There's much discontinuity between those two things, but there is an overlap, I think, as well, where there's this queerness, this otherness in being disabled. There's a queerness and otherness in being gay. And I, when Jesus is confronted with the question of the blind man, he doesn't say, oh, because he's a soulful sinner. That's all his fault that he's blind. <laughs> like, what the frick? Yeah. You know? He says, so the glory of God can be revealed. And so I am passionate 
that queer, gay, same-sex attraction, whatever, people, there is a glory that God wants to reveal there. And I think he's, I think the reason this has torn the church apart is because he's trying to reveal that glory. But we've got all the same problems we had when Jesus was on the earth and he was that glory embodied. But and it's so unfair. I know it is. But, but you, I, you, I agree. You, but yeah. you've said this in your book. Like, I mean, it, <laughs> intimacy mm-hmm. with romantic intimacy is sort of the meaning of life. It is in our culture, yeah. What do you mean? Well, I don't think it actually is the meaning of life. I think it's one way in which the meaning of life can be expressed. But the meaning of life is this deeper love of God that is non-sexual but is passionately erotic. And that they're incompatible. No, and you're, no, no, they're no, not no, incompatible. No, no, let me rephrase. They uh, can be. They There is a ordered form of that which can become sexual in marriage, yes. But but I'm... Same sex. They're not desi- necessarily incompatible. Like, same sex desires, like um, same sex sex and intimacy with God, is incompatible. That's what you're. S- it's very difficult because within a gay relationship is also friendship, and I think just because they're sexual, that sexual activity doesn't necessarily mean everything about that relationship is evil and wrong. I think it's 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 a complex situation that isn't as simple as just saying, well, because that's happening, which I don't think is compatible with that eros because of the created order and because of how God created humanity, male and female, um, and marriage to reflect that future eschaton, that, that future reality of the kingdom. I think there's still a lot of good in gay relationships. I don't think moral reality works in a dualistic way, just because there's something there that isn't the way God wants it to be, that therefore the whole situation is evil and wrong. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that's really just... important for queer people to know that like, even if they make that decision, I might not agree with the sexual ethics of the situation because of my commitment to scriptural you know, ethics, but I can still see good in that relationship. And I think that's very confusing for people. You know, I think it's highly confusing. I, it I've almost lived- feels like you don't have a position. But you do have a position. I do, yeah. But I want to make sure that it doesn't become dualistic and that gay people who are in relationships don't feel like second-class citizens because they are in this theodicy situation that's incredibly hard. And I understand people who say, well, it's all too hard. I'm just going to have a gay relationship. I get it, but I can't go there. I just can't because I fell in love, like I'm so in love with Jesus. And I'm not necessarily casting aspersions about their relationship with Jesus. I just can't, I cannot see that in the scriptures, I cannot see that in how the gospel is laid out, that that is a possibility for me. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, um, so let's get there. So, it is a position, yeah. but I want to be really careful, you know. Yeah, okay, okay. I want to I wanna understand, because we've talked a lot about relationship with Jesus and stuff, but you used to be a Christian-hating gay activist. Oh, I hated Christians. Foul. Where, get what, away from le- yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, let's start there. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what happened? Did you grow up in a Christian home? And I then- grew up in an agnostic atheist home. Okay. I went to a Christian school. Um, and that produced a lot of conflict in me as a young gay man at the age of 14. And I thought, again, this whole dilemma, why would God allow me to have these desires, do nothing to change them and condemn me for them? Like, what kind of idiot is that? Like, that is not a real God. So, I'm going to become an atheist. That was, you know, which is the very common trajectory of most people who are queer today in the church. And finally, this beautiful space is opened where they don't have to live under that anymore. And I understand that deeply. I was there. And then I went and did a cultural studies postmodern degree at University of Technology, Sydney, got hooked up with like postmodern theory, queer theory, gender theory, <laughs> all the theories, critical theory before woke was woke. I am, 
you know, that wasn't a term. I don't even like that term personally, but like that was what I imbibed in that degree. And then in the middle of that degree in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney, I had a radical like salvation experience when someone offered me prayer and said, have you experienced the love of God and didn't know anything about the theology of these questions, but just knew Jesus. Okay. Tell me, tell me what happened. So three months before this, I'd had a debate with my uncle about the existence of God. And he was a Pentecostal lawyer who was cisgender, white and heterosexual. So he had absolutely no intersectional capital and I was ready to destroy my cultural enemy. (laughs) Um, And I was like, Sydney Morning Herald is my future journalistic career. Here I come. Uh, (laughs) And so I said, I said to him, there is no absolute truth. You crazy idiot. Like you can't even communicate truth of language, let alone talk about God. You're deluded and look at what the, ch- the church has done to queer people, women, everybody. Just stop. Y- you know, living with a first century Palestinian Jewish carpenter in the sky is not going to help anyone. Can you just zip it? <laughs> and he said to me, well, David, you said there's no absolute truth. That's an absolute truth. And you just used language to com- communicate that. So you just doubly contradicted yourself. So I talked about the postmodern yep, theory yep. of language. And then he had a prophetic vision that in three months' time I'd become a Christian, the Holy Spirit would come upon me. I didn't know about any of that. Um, And then three months later I was in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney and someone prayed for me um, and asked me that question, have you experienced the love of God? And what was interesting is in the backstory, I was very involved in left-wing politics and had seen a lot of hypocrisy in the political world and I was really disenchanted with it and I was like, there has to be more to life than this. And I had so many boyfriends, so many relationships, wonderful boyfriends, but I just, and they kept saying to me, David, there's something you're looking for that like we can't fulfill. <laughs> like, doesn't matter how great the relationship is in all those ways, like this one, I cannot fulfill you. And so I was looking for something, but I would never say it was God. I'd say it was love maybe, but I didn't want to say it was God because that's homophobic, right? I had that dualistic progressive view. And then I, yeah, this girl prayed for me and as she was praying for me, I felt like this tingling sensation on the top of my head and then this like oil being poured out on me. And what's really interesting in the Psalms is that it says, I've anointed my servant David with my sacred oil. So there was this kind of like Davidic. But she didn't actually have oil. No, it was like a spiritual experience of like oil. I mean, I never experienced anything like this in my life. I'd been a Wiccan witch at one point. I'd gone to psychics. I was like, had a new age kind of you know, uh, a, a stage. So I knew what like spiritual experiences that I had, you know, dwelt, kind of tried to generate in myself to have some kind of transcendence looked like. And this was like t- from from somewhere else. It was just crazy. And then I heard this voice say, do you want me? And I was like, what the frick is going Like it really spooked me. Like, and it, it was like the voice of God. And three times. And it's really interesting because in the Gospels, Jesus says, what do you want? And it was like God was pointing to that desire beyond any other desire that is a desire for God, you know, that eros. And um, it was like a very romantic thing. It was almost like someone saying, do you want me? Do you want, you know, this relationship? And I was like, I don't even really know who you are. Like, so I was like, I suppose so if you're real, <laughs> you know. And then I saw this veil over my heart and then this pinprick of light come into the innermost part of my being. And then I just felt like this breath breathing through me. And I was like, this is insane. What is going on? 
and I asked her, like, what is this breath thing? And she's like, it's the Holy Spirit. He loves you. And, you know, yeah. it was just incredible. Well, it sounds like supernatural. It was the best thing ever. Like, <laughs> I freaking loved it. It was spicy, you know, it was beyond spice. <laughs> yeah. And then she, I heard this voice say, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior as she kept praying for me? And there was this kind of wrestle over my soul. I felt like one voice saying, get away from this crazy fundamentalist. She's an idiot. You know, Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Or whatever, you know, it could be a conservative thing as well. But, and, and, and I, and I just, I was like, I, I have the mind of a atheist gay activist, but I have this new heart that had just like sh- appeared out of nowhere. And suddenly I was like, yes, I will. And I was like, what the fuck? And my mind's like, what are you doing? Like, and I just can't describe to you what it's like to have the mind of an atheist gay activist, but the a born again Christian heart. Well, maybe I, yeah. Can because you get it. Yeah. Um. And you seem to be a person who has a similar <laughs> well, well, <laughs> tension going on. Uh, now, and yeah. Carry so on. then I found out about went home. My mum was waiting up, and she said like she'd made this covenant with God that if he'd save me, he, um, she'd know he's the God of the impossible because I was impossible to save. <laughs> and then about the prophetic word that it would happen in three months' time. My uncle, everything, way back in the de- the debate three months before this. So it's exactly three months. And I just found it all super crazy. I felt like I'd kind of woken up into a different world. Like a bit like when you read Harry Potter, you know, <laughs> it's like, and suddenly I'm sitting on park benches and feeling the Holy Spirit, like, and preaching to people and giving people like my sushi rolls at Central Station, you know, and like, I just, I was a totally different person. And you felt like God or Jesus changed your heart. Oh, totally. I've never been the same. But were you still having sex with men at that point? Um, well, it was interesting. Before that, I'd had a lot of sex and then I kind of got sick of it because it wasn't creating relationship and I really wanted a relationship. And um, I then had some relationships and even then it wasn't fulfilling me. Like it was very kind of just, yeah, good relationship. But I think <laughs> there was this grace tugging at me all the time saying, I, like, this is the deeper desire that you think it's romantic love it's not, it's me, you know, and, and I met, I met God. So I, I felt like there was an action of grace in my life, even in having lots of sex, being part of Oxford street and being a Mardi Gras parade official at 18 and, you know, going to the big, uh, it didn't fulfill me. It was, it just was empty. Um, I loved lots of people. I loved the community. Like it wasn't bad. I don't like there to criticize. I just, it didn't fulfill me. So when was the moment you realized you needed to be a celibate Christian? <laughs> that was when I, you know, to me, celibacy was disgusting. I was like, ew. Like when I first became a Christian, I was like, don't know what's going on there. <laughs> and it was very much like, I'm going to have a gay marriage and I'm going to com- campaign in the church and I'm going to be changing the church's doctrine on marriage and let's go. Uh, and I, I really struggled with the Bible because I was like, eh, not sure about that. But I was happy with like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the the mystical side of faith. But I struggled with the tradition and the scriptures. And but then everything that was happening in the Spirit was in the Scripture. And so as I read the Scripture, I was like, that's that's what happened to me yesterday. What's explain that? that. Explain that. What do you mean? Like, also, what? like I'd had these experiences of like water flowing through my soul and like this inner regeneration. And Jesus said, I will salt you with fire. And I was like, that's exactly what it was like in the pub. And then I was also, you know, experiencing spiritual gifts and all sorts of other things happening. And then I found them in like Paul, which I hated because I was like, hey, Paul, I don't want to read freaking Paul. Can we tear that out? You know? And then yet it was all this stuff was in Paul. And then 
I knew somehow that like I was righteous before God, that like he had actually chosen me and saved me and it wasn't because of me. Like I didn't do anything to earn it. And then I read that in Ephesians and I'm preaching all this stuff to the Christians on campus and they go like, this guy, like he doesn't even, he hasn't even read scripture, but he's constantly almost paraphrasing scripture. So everything I was learning from the spirit was reflected in the scriptures. And then slowly I went through a process of trusting the scripture. I'm just aware of the non-Christians who are going to watch this. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Don't don't, don't apologize. Um, So when you say learning in the spirit. Yeah. So I think what's really hard to understand if you're not a Christian is you are born again. Like you go from being dead to God and unable to like, you you sense a kind of form of spirituality that maybe there's a God there, but you don't know God's personal character yet. Because you have to, Jesus died, you know, died, shed his blood, um, provided this atonement for sin. And before we receive that through the gift of faith, that that act of love towards us to renew our relationship with God. So, what happened in the garden is we were cut off from that living spiritual, spirit to spirit to relationship. And so, when Jesus died, he 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 reconnected humanity to god and removed the problem of sin and death so that then now we could be alive to god and what i find fascinating in my story is that happens before i actually re- agreed <laughs> agreed to jesus and i still don't really understand the theology of it it's so mysterious and so deep but the the simple message is simply that your your sins have been forgiven because jesus gave his life for you died and rose again and that he has bridged that gap and that now in christ we can receive the holy spirit and he be revivified to god so dead to sin but alive to god so there's this total inner transformation metamorphosis that happens through that and that will happen when you sort of consciously invited jesus and you agreed but but, but, it did the the full deal happened then but there was something holding me almost like if I'm here, you know, I don't want to force you to make this 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 decision. It was very you have a choice. And yet grace is so amazing, it's hard to resist it. So people that are people that don't have um are people that are not Christian, do they not have a spirit, spiritual life? They do, yeah. But then it's just born the, again, the spiritual only way to the fullness of who God is is through Christ. So Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father. Is to accept that message. It's to accept that basically the goodness of who Jesus is. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the um, visible image of the invisible God. That like a Christ-shaped God is the God who exists. To accept that um, is to receive the fullness of God because Jesus is the fullness of God. But we don't know how good God is until we know him. So if we don't know. know him, how do we... Except, I mean, maybe that's above my pay grade. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're pretty highbrow. Uh, <laughs> I'm just highbrow doesn't often help. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> just a lots of lots of big words. Well, I'm just thinking of all my non-Christian friends. Like they don't even. They're just like, oh yeah, da da da. Mel's doing her thing. I get that. But they don't want to know. Yeah. Well, I think you have to come to your own place. You know, it's a bit like Solomon. He had to get to the point where he saw everything in the world. He had all the wealth, all the relationships, all the kind of Sydney real estate. Uh, Gosh, I'm so sick of that in this country. Anyway, yeah. And, you know, you had it all. 
And then he was like, it's, it's empty. And I think we all come to that realization at different points in our life. But when I speak to that, you know, Uber driver who's like had all the money and then lost it, and I tell them about the message of the gospel, they go, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Because they're poor. You know, they're poor in spirit. And you can't enter the kingdom except that poverty of spirit. Mm. It's found in that place where faith arises. And I think I got to a place of poverty of spirit. It was like, God, I've tried it. Not God, but, you know, whatever you are, whatever this is, <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> and it doesn't work, you know. And we all come to that at different points. And I don't think Christians are better than people who aren't. They're just people who've said, I re- I'll receive that grace. And often they're worse than people who aren't Christians. Yeah, because they're <laughs> they're self-righteous about it. And Paul says, not many of you are noble. Not many of you are, <laughs> you know. So I, I, it's not about pride. It's just that this is the offensive. It's that there's an offense to the gospel. It's But actually underneath it is this beautiful path of wisdom. Um, so on the surface, it's like, why would I worship a crucified Messiah? Why would I, you know, this is what the early, you know, Roman times, this is completely crazy to the Jews and to the Gentiles. But this was, within that foolishness, was this wisdom of how to truly live your life to lead you towards flourishing, like actual flourishing, actual joy. I didn't find that joy and flourishing in the world's ways. I found myself empty. But when I found Christ, it was like, oh my gosh, like my inner life, I was so filled with life joy and I've had that ever since I was I was saved and that's not something that I did I don't it's something God did you know and so I think God knows mysteriously the point at which each person will be able to receive that yeah. and I believe God's grace is beyond what we can imagine God's Even grace it's beyond and that is the unmerited glorious self-giving of God. He will always love. He will always run towards. He will always want to give himself to others because he is love. Like that's what love looks like. What is it what does it feel like to experience God's love? It's, like what is I'm that? addicted. Like but what do you what do you to the non-Christian it, it sounds foolish. Yeah. It it's is. Paul said that didn't he? <laughs> Fucking Paul. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good, isn't yeah, he? <laughs> but but if you, I don't know. Is there a way to describe it? Because people say this all the time. Like, you know, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sin. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I know Jesus loves me. Do you know what I love me. about Jesus is he's so not what you think he is. Do you know, like, I'm often in relationship with Jesus and he's like, you're doing that thing again. And I'm like, what? And I was like, you're making me that, like, cardboard cutout weirdo. I'm not that. Like, I am, like, the living Lord and I can also have a laugh. <laughs> And I also, you know, I can be both the holy transcendent one, but also I can have a laugh with you, you know. And I think we, that's what God is like. He spans the whole, like, the whole spectrum and from the say, most intimate to the most transcendent. And when you say you hear God say that, it's not audibly, right? Is it just like a spiritual it's sort of epiphany? It's you learn. It's almost, you know, there's cognitive behavioral therapy. We're <laughs> <laughs> we doing that? No. Yeah, but I think there's actually overlap. In the tradition of contemplative prayer, of you know, some people call it centering. It's just talking to God. It's 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 actually both a skill and a grace. It's something you receive and you're able to do because of the Spirit in you. But it's also something you learn to do. It's a skill, and sometimes you get it wrong. You think, "Oh, God's saying this to me," and you actually have to learn how to do that well. And mm. people make mistakes with that. Mm. And that's quite a scary part of faith. Yeah, because you could just be nuts, you know. <laughs> I ask myself but that every day. What's fascinating is grace holds you in that. Okay. 
And okay. I find if you trust God through faith, you can just learn to trust that he will communicate with you. And I, the way that, you know, I ended up at Oxford, the way that I've followed, lived my life since I got saved in the pub has been li- living by the word. And we have the scriptures as the guide. So, and we have the tradition as the greater guide. So, you have 2,000 years of history of people who've been listening to God, worshiping God, praying, and then living the Christian life. And that can help guide us where we don't know, you know. I don't want to say that every time I think God's speaking to me, it's definitely God. No. I, I can't know that. Yeah. But I go to the next level of I'm going to test that with the scriptures. I'm going to test that yeah. with with those teachers that I trust and are orthodox. And I'm just going to keep following Jesus because he's awesome. And, like, I can't – I have not found any greater joy than the life I live in Jesus. Okay, so let's go back to sex. Let's talk yeah. about sex. So yeah. you you met Jesus, but you were still having sex, but you weren't completely fulfilled. But I'm just, what was it that made you stop having sex? It was finding this deeper eros with God. Eros? This, yeah. So it's classical language. <laughs> like dumb it down for me. So Come on. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, you know, he talks about the four loves. It's not that great. I think there's one love, but multiple aspects, and that's kind of what he says. But Things get a bit, yeah, split into like, there's my brother. And it's like, well, no, I want to spend time with my brother. I have this desire to go and be with my brother, have a nice Thai meal, sip a flat white, sit by the beach, spend time together and feel that unity we have together or that union. And that's a form of eros. It's not sexual. It's brotherly. Do you know, like when I hang out with my friends, I have that. I'm like, I freaking love this person. You know, I find them to be such a wonderful person to be with. I find them attractive, but it's not in, I'm not, it's not sexual. (laughs) Maybe it is sometimes, you know, that's okay. We're all sexual beings. That's how God created us. It's not a bad thing to be sexual, but it's also a very potent thing. And sex is a bit like, you know, a fire. If you just let it burn everywhere, it destroys your life. But if you put it in the right kind of situation, which I think is marriage in the gospel sense, then it becomes something that warms everybody in the room. But it's not just marriage in an ethic. It's marriage as, like, the attachment style is right. The, you know, everything we've talked about, it it needs rechanneling. And I think that's the thing that maybe our secular culture doesn't fully agree with Christianity on is that, and basically every other religion, because they all agree it needs rechanneling. <laughs> and, like, how do you love someone if you can't deny yourself at some point? Like, if I'm in even a romantic relationship with someone else that's committed, I have to be able to say, no, I'm not going to be with that other person that I find attractive. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm committed to you. I have to make a sacrificial decision constantly. If I'm going to love my child, I have to put what I want to do under what they need. Agree, agree. Okay. Yeah. But- you know, there's the the affirmation model. We talked a little bit about before. Yeah. The affirmation model believes that Paul didn't have an understanding of healthy, monogamous, same-sex marriages. No, Jews wouldn't. Or same-sex relations. Jews, the Jews wouldn't because to them it represented the, the covenant breaking of okay. the law. So, monogamous, healthy- same sex. Doesn't matter how virtuous you you could have the most virtuous gay relationship in the freaking world, and yep. God, I believe, would affirm the good side of that. I don't think, but I think that the same sex act goes against the sacramental meaning of marriage that God instantiated by making us male and female. Okay, yeah. So that's where we might disagree. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, I'm not. 
Like, obviously, they read the Bible, yeah. right? I'm not a theologian. That's fine. I don't go to church. Praise God, because if we yeah. were all theologians, <laughs> you know, gosh. <laughs> but, I mean, m- m- my conviction yeah. is I just, I remember, you know, meeting Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember being celibate for about eight months. But it wasn't like... It's a bad celibacy, yeah. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm just not going to... Ha-. It was just like, I'm pursuing God so much yeah. that I just, yeah, I just want to taste Jesus. But I... I met a woman one night randomly, yeah. like it just wasn't planned and it was just a one night stand. Yeah. And I was just confused about everyone and what the church was saying about it because they'll use words like, did you fall down or blah, blah, blah. But I had sex with this woman and I spoke to God about it the next morning. And then I was just like, <laughs> like I was talking to God and I was asking him. Yeah. And in that moment, I can't even remember what I was asking him because my... My epiphany was, oh, my God, I'm talking to you. Mm. I had sex with a woman, but I know you. Yeah. And everyone throughout my whole life was like, you know, you can't know Jesus and be gay. You can't be homosexual and be a Christian. You know, homosexuality is a sin. And I'm just like, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. And now today, that was when I was 25. I'm 31 now. I, I do. I have sex with women, but I'm in relationship with Jesus. So I just don't really understand the point of being celibate. Well, I think (laughs) the point of being celibate isn't about being celibate. It's about making room for that deeper, passionate love with God and saying, God, I don't understand your ways. Like, I don't understand. I'm gay. I think men are great. I just want to go, you know, let's see. I haven't, you know, I'm not, I'm not repressed. I don't repress myself. I rechannel that desire towards God because I, I'm convicted scripturally that that's not the way. You know, and I, I think my faithfulness to him. But it is a big ask. But you know what? <laughs> Discipleship is a freaking big ask. It, it sounds to me like you're not – I mean, there's two ways yeah. to do the Christianity almost. There's moral restraint, which makes Christianity oh, legalistic. Yeah. I, I actually don't think that's Christianity. Yeah. It, well, it's, reli- it's religion. Yeah. And then there's supernaturally changed, which is the Christianity. No. I, oh. Well – well, God you says be- the renewing of your mind, yes. supernaturally changed heart. Yeah, like right. we can agree on that, we right? We are transformed. We have been given a down payment. There is something that has ontologically actually yeah. changed about us, and yet we have not fully experienced that work. Like, but I would you say you're experiencing? Because it doesn't—it doesn't sound like you're abstaining from your same-sex attraction. It seems like you your desires have changed. Is that—is there some truth to that? No, I am very attracted to men all the time, and you want to have I, sex with them. I say to God, "Well done." High five, you know, because I don't think there's anything I can do to change that orientation. God's never changed that. He said, just give it to me and, and, and walk with me and lay that down at my feet. And I said, well, God, I read your word and it's pretty clear that marriage is between a man and woman. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to seek um, a same sex relationship. But I believe that ultimately sex is a gift that points to something deeper. And our desire for sex is actually often a hankering for completion with God. You know, what we're really searching for often in sex, sometimes it's not, it's just a desire for pleasure and it's hedonism. But I think the deeper like human space when we're really close to who we ourselves is that we're looking for something deeper in sex. And you can't really even, you can have great sex and be in really great relationships, but it's never going to give you that deeper that deeper intimacy with God that does really fulfill. And so what's happened for me is that God has fulfilled me. Not always. I still have moments where there's big conflict and where I still 
have desire for men and I wrestle with that and, you know, I'm a sinner like everybody, <laughs> not like still experience that, that, you know, incapacity to live out the will of God perfectly. But at the same time, God is so gracious to me in that and is like, I know, that's why I died. Like I provided the righteousness that you couldn't give me. And that's why I came partially, one of the reasons he came. So there's huge grace, I think, for queer people particularly because straight people don't have to deal with the idea that their desires are misaligned with the created order in the law. We do, and that's freaking hard. And I think God has so much grace for us. I still don't understand why he's allowed it fully. (laughs) I have some mysterious sense it's because of his glory and that he is sanctifying the church and he's going to lift up queer people in the church to be actually there's going to be a new wave of revival that's coming from queer people who trust him with something that deep. But it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Well, I'm thinking about the young gay Christians who are, you know, watching this or are searching. And it sounds to me like you're saying if we engage in our same-sex attraction, we're not living in the fullness that God has for us. No, I'm saying that your same-sex attraction or your desires have a deeper meaning and to search that out first and then understand your orientation from that place. Does that make sense? It does. I'm and just- with the scriptures as the authority, the law still teaches us what sin is. It, you know, Paul never undermines that the law teaches us what sin is. And I think the Jewish law is very clear, but we're not meant to live under it. We're not to, meant to live under it as our source of righteousness. Would you say then, because I'm just trying to think. It's, it's, it's a thin line, but that's th- that's true Christianity. There's know? so much emphasis on our sexuality, though. I know you said we're all sinners saved by grace, but unfortunately in our culture, it's just not seen like that. We're not seen as the same as everyone else. We're seen as worse. No. We're seen, Well, you're gay. You were sort of lost. And I'm just like, man, you should just see my heart. Like, you should look at all the change. I think we're freaking amazing. Yeah, like all the, all the change in the heart and then you've got this. Even with queer people who disagree with me on sexual yeah. ethics and what I've said, I just, I just... Because it's what we live is hard. And I've tried to explain it to straight people a million times. And it's like, nah. And when I speak to my friends who are like black or have, you know, engaging in the racism issue, they have a lot of the same struggles. It's not the same. I don't think Mm. you can overlap sexuality and race, race in the same way. But it is very hard to explain to someone who doesn't know what it's like. So when I'm with a queer person, there is this kind of sacred solidarity. And I want to be able to have that with queer people without always having to agree on the same ethic. But queer pe- gay yeah. people uh, or gay Christians must see you as against their um, uh, needs. Well, you can go and look at the interview I did with my side A friend Taylor. And yeah, she I said, have. Yeah. And she doesn't feel that way. She says, I don't agree with David, but I'm also a finite human too. And I'm going to walk alongside David because I understand that wrestle. And, you know, one of the things I love about Taylor is she's also a theologian, so she's really gone deep. And she's like, I understand side B. Like, I get that. That is one way I would approach it, but I'm not convicted that way. And I don't ultimately agree with David. Just for the listeners, side B, side A quick. Side B, (laughs) same-sex relationship is not, you know, not God's will, but being gay is not, the identity of being gay is not wrong. Okay. You know, Um, and side A is, yes, a gay marriage or gay union um, is permissible. So you're side B. I'm side B and side A. So I think we need to reach across that together and create friendships across that difference of conviction. 
um, without compromising at what we see as our fellowship. So the New Testament has this this tension between fellowship where you have to like, there's a holy standard for fellowship where it's like very much like no sexual immorality, right? But I say to that ethic, yes, but sexuality is a theodicy question. So we need to be a little bit more, it can't be like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, sleeping with your mother-in-law. <laughs> this is not the same thing. This yeah. is very deep and really complex. And so there needs to be space and grace. But where there's disagreement, fellowship has a great gradation to it where I can't give my full fellowship to people who disagree with me on something as internal to the gospel as marriage, but I can have kinds of fellowship with them. So with, with Taylor, I can have a kind of fellowship. It's just not the same as with those that actually do agree and see the full like side B reality. So I think within queer crea- Christianity, we're seeing these, these differences, but learning to have solidarity across those differences. Okay. Does that make sense? It totally does. And yeah. I'm just- Because otherwise, what's the alternative? The culture war. Yeah. And who wants to live that? I no, don't. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I'm about unity, but I'm just like, uh-huh. how, yeah, how, how can we bring unity if people sort of see your view as the- Friendship. Unity and friendship is you're like the enemy. Like, what do you mean? I I can't. I well, Jesus have even or- says, and I don't think side A Christians are my enemy, but Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> but we shouldn't. I don't want to persecute side A Christians. I just want to say, here's my witness. Here's how Jesus has worked in my life. I'm one human and I'm just going to stay with that humility. And if you see the truth in my life and you want to live in more of a side B way, let's let's support one another. If you don't, I'm offering friendship, you know, and that's it. Like what else? <laughs> I, w- I just, yeah. I want to know what, what do we, yeah. what do we say to young gay people? Or, I mean, Christianity is not that appealing <laughs> at the minute for gay people. And I'm like, how? I think Christendom isn't, but I think the real gospel is. Yeah. I think it's hard to accept that the idea of the law, but I think the radical justification by faith and that deep, loving like union we can experience with God is irresistible when it's really understood as it truly is. And I think everyone's searching for that gay and straight. And when I speak to gay people, they're deeply longing for that. Like I was another Uber driver, (laughs) gay Russian guy in in San Francisco. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you exist. I'm so glad you exist because I desire God all the time. But I'm told by my progressive friends, I can't have that. You know, that like God doesn't exist, but I do think God exists, but I don't know what to do because I want to have a relationship. And I'm like, I understand. And he's like, you really help me see there's another path if I want it, you know, and if I don't, I can go this way, you know, and we love each other across that. What do you, what would you say to the Christians that feel like they need to, I think, is it Timothy? Correct your brother if he stumbles. They, They always use, well, you know, you're having gay sex or you're gay, so I need to correct you. What would you what would you say to you know sort of people that are I just don't buy this whole thing of having gay sex like I really struggle with that terminology and I I struggle with how yeah. we understand sex I find it really bizarre and it's not biblical like scripture understands sex as an act of knowing another person or like sex can be I don't even like it. <laughs> just like <laughs> having a physical intimate relationship that is sexual with someone you know should be an act of personal knowledge it's not, you know, scripture doesn't ever talk about having sex. It talks about sexual immorality, pornea. But this idea of sex comes from the Latin root of kind of 
seketeers or sekare, which means to cut off and not to actually unify. Um, So I I think I prefer the idea of like, this is something reserved for a monogamous um, marriage, I believe, between a man and a woman, but a side A person wouldn't. And we should go for that as the goal of it's having sex divorced from that personal knowledge, I think steals from you. I think doesn't hit the mark of God's desire for human flourishing. Okay. So, to sort of conclude and wrap this up. Sorry, that's a lot to- No, no, no. I'm I'm just trying to figure out how to word this. Mm-hmm. You essentially can be gay and Christian. It's your own journey is kind mm-hmm. of what I feel like you're saying. Because God offers the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, not because of your sexual orientation, not because of how you're even choosing to live that out, but because he loves you and he died for you. And if you believe that, you are saved. No one can take that from you. Not even the church can take that from you. Like, it is true. (laughs) That's what I discovered in my journey is that God justified me by faith as a gay person. And he didn't change my orientation and he didn't make me not gay anymore. And he didn't say everything about your life before that is all evil and terrible and you have to throw it out. He said some things have to go and that was a process, but not all of it. And so I think for me, you can be gay and Christian, but I believe my conviction is that looks different to a kind of secular gay life. It looks more like denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, where I don't engage in a gay relationship, but there's a queerness about me. I'm different to straight people. And actually, my thesis is called Queering the Queer, where I basically argue that being gay and celibate in the way that I'm describing is more queer than actually just going with the straights. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I actually feel that being a cyber Christian makes me more queer in some ways. Yeah, I can see that. I can and I'm a that. signifier of the future intimacy we're all going to share that's universal between all people when marriage will pass away because their sign is no longer needed because the thing that it's pointing to has finally come. Augustine says, don't privilege the sign over the signified. Do you think people that are Christian and still... Mm-hmm. you know have sex with the same sex i mean i just yeah like you said we're saved by grace the the spirit yeah he's in anyone who believes whether they're having in a gay relationship or not they are justified by faith part of the family of god that that cannot be stopped even though i think and i think scripture teaches this that that is not in keeping with that gift. Does that make sense? It, there is a sinful aspect to it that is not God's way. But there's also the theodicy situation that I think God takes into account in how he is so gracious to queer people, but the church hasn't been gracious because the church has been full of straight people or queer people who aren't being real about being queer and have not lived a healthy gay identity and then kick people out who are trying to be real. I think there's something about, I wasn't raised Christian. I wasn't raised with the faith. You know, there's a lot of my friends who have been in that, who've gone, I can't do it anymore. I'm out because they've lived in a negative asceticism, a bad kind of repressive thing. So I think you can have bad celibacy, but you can also have bad marriage, right? And it's about the in, this inner life with God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, renewing that and leading us into healthy asceticism, healthy discipleship. And I think for the side A Christian, I want to say to you, I totally get it. I'm with you. There's days where I feel like let's just throw in the towel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, it's all too hard, you know? And, but then there's days where I'm like, 
no, 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 this is scripture and this is Jesus. And yet there's this other path that I see and it's leading to the heavenly city and I want to go that way. And it's it's a path of self-denial, but it's a path of great fullness in the spirit. And I'm going for that. And I'm not going to judge my side A friends, but I say, if you ever want to come on that path, I'm here. Yeah. And let's be friends and let's be queer together and let's be, you know, let's let's have a bit of friction because if there's no friction, there's no fire. There's no good friendship. If everyone you have a friendship with is the same as you, that's bloody boring. I, I totally <laughs> agree. But I've, I've just brought to mind people often, you know, yeah. I've just said, you know, I'm either going to get there or I'm not, you know, but people will say, go and sin no more. That's what yeah. Jesus accepts us, but go and sin no more. It's like if I'm technically having sex with woman is sinning like i don't know am i going to hell like no because your sin cannot take away the gift of your righteousness okay so then you can just keep having sex and have a relationship with jesus no because then that is <laughs> where paul says grace is not a license to sin so actually there, it, we we have a choice but in some sense we have no choice but that way and that's what i've experienced in my own reckoning is the same tensions that you're experiencing or you just say you block that and say it's fine. Does that make sense? It kind of does. Yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to. But that's what, I mean, that's the tension of radical holiness and radical inclusion. God doesn't want to force us into holiness. He wants to give us the free gift of righteousness because we've been so loved that we then give ourselves fully to him, even our queerness, sexuality, etc. And then he informs that in a, and leads us in a different direction to to just you know, acting upon that. That's what I do believe as a side B Christian. Okay. So yeah. a gay Christian, well, a side A, someone who's still having sex with the same sex, do you think they'll reach a point and they'll, they'll realize since you're like, the scripture is clear? Uh, when I say this, the scripture is clear in the sense that the law is clear about same sex acts, but the scriptures don't give us, I think I prefer to lean on passages like Isaiah 56, which talk about the eunuchs who, you know, can't enter into a marriage or procreate or whatever, like the rest of the, you know, heterosexual society can more easily. Um, God says, because of that situation, because that's so hard, I will give you a name better than sons and daughters, a name that shall not be cut off in Isaiah 56. And I think Jesus is actually more like queer people in that he didn't have a marriage. He didn't have the easy, you know, the capacity to procreate. He was the second Adam where there will, there's no sex in marriage anymore. So he puts an, he both affirms marriage, procreation, marriage between a man and a woman, and yet says, that's not really the big deal. You know, like in the gospels, he's like, you guys are obsessed with marriage. Who cares? We're going to be like the angels. Hurry up. <laughs> and as queer people, we are a voice crying for that in the church when the church has become too obsessed with the idol of marriage and the world has become too obsessed with the idol of marriage. And we are meant to be like holy disruptors when we take our queerness and lead it towards holiness. So I'm interested in that. That's what I see my queerness. That's the role of my queerness now. Yes, I have left behind sex in some sense, but I'm also still a sexual being. I'm not raised from the dead. I'm not in that new creation. <laughs> so it's living in the tension and experiencing God's grace where it's all a bit too hard 
the thing I find interesting is it's not really me doing it. It's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit doing it in me and I'm not trying to force myself. And when I do that, God's like, no, 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 that's not the way this plays. That, that's, that's the kind of legalistic, repressive way of being celibate. The same with marriage, you know, it needs to be empowered by grace. So that's why I'm an Augustinian. Augustine was the one who said it's all grace, <laughs> everything a Christian does. And, there's nothing we can ultimately do, even if we try to do good works just on our own, we end up making a schmozzle of it. God wants us to do good works from that root of his own grace living in us. And that's super hard to describe to a non-Christian. Like, how do you describe? What do you mean? But that's part of the mystery of being a Christian. I don't think a Christ- being a Christian should always be easily explainable because you are relating to the greatest mystery of human existence, God. Like, we are people of mystery. We are living into a mystery. The gospel is a mystery. Sexuality is a mystery. Like, I think being queer is a mystery because sexuality is a mystery. And that's okay. And we could, but, but we're also given enough information in the Bible, in the tradition to also make a choice, um, to live obediently. And I believe we are called to that. Do I look down on side A people? No. Do I understand the situation? Yes. Do I love them? Freaking yes. Do I want to stand by them in solidarity? Yes. But I'm committed to going in this other way. To sort of yeah, wrap this around to the beginning, <laughs> how would you, yeah, like what? where do we go from here in terms of inclusion for LGBT people in the church? I think we need to preach the gospel again. And we've lost that message that Reformation tried to find again, which is that you are justified by faith. You are not justified by your sexual orientation or how you choose to live that out within a particular moment of your life. You are justified because you have this connection to Jesus that's come through faith. And that is a gift, not something that you can earn. And we come back to that as the foundation of everything. And no one can boast. No one can be prideful. I cannot be prideful about being a side B Christian. I am no better than anyone else. I am just trying to love the one I've fallen in love with. And the church is simply the community of people who have fallen in love with who God is, this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's just freaking the best. And we are just all together groaning towards the new creation, trying to live it out together. And that's the true church. The institution can do what it, all sorts of things, but that communion cannot be broken. It's so deep. And I share that with anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. However, there is the call of holiness and there is the fellowship point and that's hard, but, and I can't have full fellowship with people who don't fully agree on all the mysteries because it's hard. You know, it's something that is reserved for like this very deep place of your heart. But I can have very profound friendship with people who disagree with me. And I think that's the future. Learning incarnational solidarity, but also learning fellowship, you know. And if you compromise either one of those, you lose the fellowship with God and the saints. And you also lose (laughs) the incarnational solidarity. So, if you lose holiness, you undermine the inclusion. And if you lose inclusion, you undermine the holiness. So, that's where I've come to. And I'm just trying to live the best I can in that. I'm not perfect. I'll make mistakes. I'm not some hyper-holy person. I'm just David Bennett meeting you, sharing story. And I'm just honestly so grateful for the opportunity to unwrap all of this and for your like patience in listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to understand the highbrow yeah. theologian. No. Um, hey, it's been 
It's been really awesome. It's awesome to meet you. And thank you for <laughs> bravely inviting me on. <laughs> Thanks for being here. It's been like, great. So good. <laughs> oh, man, I got a lot more questions, but we'll have to do round two. We'll soon. do round two when I'm back in Sydney. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I just, you know, one thing I'll say is I just picked up that you are authentically wrestling and I found that a really beautiful thing. And so I wanted to do the podcast with you. Thank you. So, yeah. And I deeply relate to your journey. So, yeah, if you ever want to talk more, you know. This is perfect. Is this Sam? <laughs> we were man? told people might. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. Um, cool, man. So cool. And, oh, this is no, it's Sam. not. <laughs> Great. Yeah, but um, let's keep in touch. We will. Okay, cool. Great. Cool. 